Well, Dave, welcome. It's so good to have you here. I, I can imagine that you were living your childhood dream of becoming a major league baseball pitcher and, and the very thing that you need for pitching is your arm and that that was taken from you. How, how would you find purpose for life or, or even joy in that kind of a loss? Friends, my name is uh, Chuck Betters and I am the host of this Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. We encourage you to visit markinc.org where you will find numerous free resources that are designed to offer help and hope to, to someone who is hurting in, in perhaps the darkest crisis of their life. Well, with me today is Dave Dravecki, who doesn't have to wonder how to answer the question because he's lived it. Uh, Dave is the best-selling author of eight inspirational books, including his gripping story, Comeback. And out of their own pain, he and his wife, Jan, founded Endurance, his ministry to encourage those who are facing serious illness, loss, depression, anger. And you're going to find from this interview a whole variety of emotions that Dave and his wife have experienced. We do have another interview uh, available with his wife, Jan. I want to encourage those of you who are on this website to get a hold of that interview as well. So Dave, welcome. It's great to have you with us. So why don't you tell us about your life right now? What's going on? I understand you're in the middle of a big move. Yeah, it's been actually pretty amazing. Um, when we look back over the past several weeks um, and the transition that we've been going through, I've never been a part of anything, Chuck, that has actually gone as smooth as this when you use the word move. It's been absolutely amazing from the time that we decided to sell our home and to get into the city of San Francisco. We were living about two hours and 15 minutes east in a small town called Turlock in the Central Valley of California. And we were there because we followed our grandkids there. They made the decision that they were going to um, move to Costa Mesa, California um, a while back. And as a result of that, they ended up leaving us in uh, roughly December, right around the holidays. And so Jan and I at that time decided to move into San Francisco. And I've got to tell you, um, we didn't even list the house and we had sold it. So that was beautiful. And, and God took care of all of that. The appraisal was actually approved at the price we sold it for. And we've had experiences in the past where that didn't happen um, to the closing date being right on to us preparing and actually moving to an amazing place uh, here in San Francisco that God provided. Uh, we're in an apartment right now. And so it's just been absolutely amazing. And the transition, quite frankly, has not been that difficult. It's been really, really smooth. And, you know, one of the beautiful things about moving from 3,000 square feet to 1,049 square feet is that you get to purge. And <laughs> we have found that simplicity is better and less is more. And so it's been a beautiful thing, man. Wow. Uh, I identify with you. We have just experienced the move ourselves, and uh, I'm looking forward to that purging as well. Dave, you have an incredible story, uh, a story that probably most of America has either heard about or witnessed. I know I witnessed it. And just having you as a part of Mark Inc. Ministries right now is so fit, so proper, because our ministry was started... Uh, back in 1994, a year after we lost our son, Mark. 
And uh, we had people from all over the country that were calling my wife and I and asking us to help them because they just lost a child. But we were already wounded soldiers trying to drag each other off the battlefield. And it was hard to do that. It's hard to tell the story when we were so fresh and raw ourselves. So we decided that what we would do is we would sit down and record one of our resources, which is called Loss of a Loved One. And we would say, the objective here was if we had you in the room, this is what we would say to you. And uh, that resource has been distributed now to literally thousands of people. Our objective at Mark Inc. is to tell stories by listening to people who have been there. In other words, they, there are others down the road from you, ahead of you, so to speak, in, in, the, in the journey of grief, who are looking back. Psalm 84 talks about that, looking back. And uh, being able to tell from being down the road a little bit that they can help somebody who's just struggling, who's just starting that journey. That seems to be what endurance is all about. That, that seems to be what the objective of your ministry is. Am I reading it correctly? Absolutely. Um, I think, you know, when we, when we first started this journey and we found ourselves in the midst of the pain and the suffering, one of the things that Jan and I um, always thought about was if we were to get, when we were to get to the other side, and if we got to the other side, in all honesty, if we were able to get to the other side of this, we would want to give back because of so much that was given to us in the midst of our, our pain and suffering. Mm. And, and so endurance is really built for that. It's, it's taking, you know, this incredible thing that God has provided, comforting us through others that is now, you know, we were first comforted by him. And now we get to take that comfort and turn it around and give it back to others. And, and, and that's the beauty. They find themselves in the midst of the beginning of the journey. For many, it's shock, it's fear, it's all the emotions that come to us as human beings. And as you move into that space, it's now realizing that you've just entered into this wilderness and it is very scary in that place with a lot of questions and in some respects, questions that quite frankly may not get answered. And so for endurance to be in that place because of what we've experienced in the past has been the most amazing gift, Chuck, that I think Jan and I have ever received. And we can say that now, but I couldn't have said it in the middle of it. Mm. You know, I couldn't have seen that as a gift it would have been very hard for me to thank God for what I was going through because in that moment, I didn't want to go through it. I didn't want to have to experience what I was experiencing. And yet now with some years under our belts and the opportunity to look back, we have had this beautiful picture of seeing how God can be an encouragement to others through our story. And, and, and we say that with all humility because we've, in many respects, and right now for me, because my left knee is so bad, limped on this journey. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Yet at the same time, God uses those who limp. And it's mm. a beautiful, beautiful picture of what he can do in encouraging others. Well, let's go back into the darkness from the beginning as, as best you can. Mm. Tell us exactly who Dave Drivecki is, what happened. I know about your career with the Padres and about your career, especially with the Giants. Just go ahead now and tell us your story. Yeah, you know, um, obviously for any young boy, it starts with a dream. And to see that dream become a reality, the day that I was called up to the big leagues was absolutely amazing for me. I remember saying to Jan on that first day that I got called up, 
The dream is now real. And every day after this is icing on the cake. And so I embarked on this incredible journey with the Padres, had some amazing success as a, as a team and as an individual going to the All-Star Game in 1983, 1984, going into the World Series against the Detroit Tigers when no one expected it. And even though we lost, we were one of the last two teams standing, and that's what you play for when you leave spring training to start your season every year, is to be one of the last two teams standing. And so to be able to experience that was absolutely amazing. And, and life was so good. You know, in that journey, right before the Padres called me up in 1981, I, I was challenged by a teammate. I was raised in the church. I was raised Catholic. And so I had this incredible respect for God. But for me, there was this disconnect with a personal God. God was more someone off in the distance that blessed you when you were good and punished you when you were bad. And please don't misunderstand me or get me wrong. I am, I am not calling out the Catholic Church. Um, I have a number of wonderful followers of Christ that worship in the Catholic Church. My aunt has been a nun for 65 years. We have the sweetest conversations about faith and loving Jesus that I could have with anyone. So, so it's not necessarily about the institution or the name over the door of that church that you walk through, but it's the relationship that Byron introduced me to when all of a sudden he challenged me to read the Bible to discover who I was in relationship to God. And it was that summer that I came face to face with who I was without God. How old were you then? I was uh, 25 years old. And you had just been called up to the majors? And this is, no, this is the year before I got called up. And so it was 1981, and of all places, Amarillo, Texas. Man, if I wanted to run from God, there was no way in that town, because there was a church on every street corner. So being in the Bible Belt, man, that was absolutely amazing. So you can only imagine, 1982, life couldn't get any better. I'm in the big leagues now, and then I go to an all-star game, then a World Series, and then I get traded from a last-place team in the Padres to the first-place Giants. I mean, it's amazing. And then we go into postseason in the second half of that season of 1987 when I was traded, I pitched some of my best baseball in my career. And all of a sudden, we're in the playoffs against the Cardinals, and we get, we get beat. We don't get to go to the World Series, but I'm thinking, man, 1988 is going to be my year. And so, you know, I open up on 1988 in Chavez Ravine, Dodger Stadium. Roger Craig gives me the ball on opening day, which means I'm the number one pitcher on our staff. Yeah. And that day, we defeated the Dodgers 5-1. to one. And I thought I was going to win 20 games that year. Mm. And if you recall, looking back to 1988, the Dodgers won the World Series that year, and Oral Hershiser was the one that won the 20 games. In the midst of that season, as we got closer to September, that's when all of a sudden I noticed that this lump that had developed starting all the way back in the winter of 88 now had grown to half the size of, the go of a golf ball by September of 1988. And I was sitting in an examining room being told I had cancer. And man, that just racked my world. It just mm -hmm. racked my world. I was scared to death. Um, and you know, I'd been walking with Jesus for about six years during that time. And I heard all the wonderful pastors in this country. David Jeremiah was our pastor. Um, and then, you know, I knew Chuck Swindoll personally. And, you know, and I listened to a lot of great pastors during that period of time teaching sound biblical theology on the, the journey of life and the issues of pain and suffering. But when it came time for it to be me, oh my gosh, 
all of a sudden I'm thinking to live as Christ is gain. Uh, uh, no, it's not. And there was a real crisis of faith in that moment. But at the same time, there was a crisis going on in my body physically. I mean, doctors telling me that I had cancer and I didn't know if I was going to live or die and let alone come back and play again. And so, you know, that began a very interesting journey with Jan um, through the, the highs and the lows of trying to recover first from the surgery, which was 10 and a half hours long, and then from there to get my arm to a place where I could actually be able to throw something. All they wanted me, hopefully, to be able to do was play catch with my son in the backyard. And as I progressed through that 10 months of rehabilitation, it was very clear that something amazing was going on. And all of a sudden, it went from a tennis ball to a football to a baseball. And now the doctors are talking about moving me into rehabilitation to actually try and come back and pitch. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And my therapist, when he started playing catch with me, he goes, Dave, this is unbelievable. He said, you've lost 50% of your deltoid, 95% use of that deltoid, and there is nothing different in your delivery. And so from there, we continued to work and develop strength and build on my throwing and my endurance and the next thing you know, on August 10th, 1989, Chuck, I'm standing on the mound getting ready to pitch again. And the doctors told me in October, on October 10th, when I had that surgery to remove the cancer, I was told prior to that surgery that outside of a miracle, I would never pitch again. And to stand on that mound on August 10th, 1989, there were so many amazing emotions that were going on in my mind during that time. Driving in, all of a sudden, I stuck in the little cassette tape, <laughs> and I hear, give thanks with a grateful heart. And I kept playing it over and over and over again. And then I'm standing on that mound, and what comes into my head? Give thanks with a grateful heart. And I just stood there as people were cheering, and I was like, God, thank you so much for allowing this kid who had a dream to become a big leaguer to experience it not once, but twice. Because I was told I'd never come back and pitch outside of a miracle. So needless to say, that day was amazing. Mountaintop experience. We defeat the Reds 4-3. to three. I pitch eight innings. Steve Bedrosian gets the, the uh, save. And I'm back in the saddle, man. Pain and suffering are gone. The journey through the peaks and the valley are gone. Life is good. I'm now back in uniform, a part of the team. The worst thing in the universe as an athlete is to sit on the sideline and watch your teammates play when you know you can't participate. But now I was participating, so you can only imagine what that felt like. Only to see what happened five days later when I was in Montreal in the sixth inning and I reared back to throw a fastball and my left arm snapped in half. There I was laying on the ground. And, and I don't get to share this, this that often, Chuck, but prior to... Um, my start in Montreal, the afternoon before we went to the ballpark, Bob Nepper and I, who was a teammate and a, a fellow brother in Christ, um, he and I were having lunch together and we were talking about what God was doing. I was like, oh my gosh, is this incredible? And I was talking about this miracle of the comeback and how amazing it was. And Bob looks me in the eye and stops me midstream conversation and says, Excuse me, Dave, I don't mean to be mean, but I don't think this is about the miracle of the comeback. I think this is about the miracle of salvation in your life. And what God is doing is using baseball as a platform 
for you to share his love with those who hurt. And I thought to myself, well, geez, buddy, that's fine. But I'm a baseball player, man, and I'm ready to rock and roll tonight. Mm-hmm. I got a game to pitch. Mm-hmm. And Chuck, when I was laying on the ground, all I could hear were Bob Nepper's words. Was I in pain? You better believe I was. In excruciating pain to the point where I was going to go into shock. And if it weren't for Will Clark and Mark Laton, our trainer, talking me through breathing, I would have passed out. I would have gone into shock. And as they wheeled me off on a gurney and moved me into the clubhouse, all I could hear were Bob Nepper's words over and over and over again. It's not the miracle of the comeback, but the miracle of salvation. And, it, and God is using baseball for you, a platform for you to share his love with those who hurt. Mm-hmm. Now, that was just a small window that was opened to get a glimpse because obviously I'm there now with a broken arm. Um, I've got to acknowledge that Thanksgiving, ironically, that my career is over and I retire. And then I'm told the cancer comes back. And so I have to go in for more surgery. I have to go in for radiation therapy after that, which was called brachytherapy, which they put me in isolation for five days because it was so intense. And then once I got released, I wasn't feeling good. And, you know, I battled, where am I in the midst of all of this spiritually? And what is going on in my world? I'm not a baseball player, so what am I going to be able to do with my life? But I'm so consumed by the journey through the pain and the suffering that I don't have any time to think about that. I'm worrying about whether or not I'm going to survive this cancer because it's reoccurred. And in the midst of that, the cancer comes back a second time. And then I go through more surgery. And now the struggle spiritually and emotionally gets even worse because I begin to question, you know, what am I going to do? What is my worth? If I can no longer be a baseball player, how am I going to provide for my family? My identity was so wrapped up in being that baseball player, even though, yes, in fact, my identity was in Christ, my focus was that baseball player. And as the pain and the suffering got worse and trying to find the strength to endure, it was very, very difficult to begin to think that for one minute I had any worth. And as a result, I struggled to provide, think about how I could provide for my family if I now am in the midst of this thing. And then after that second surgery and a second round of radiation therapy, I contract a staph infection for 10 months. And so 7 a.m., 7 p.m., I am getting, um, I'm getting this incredible medication to try and stop the infection. And it, and it won't work. And so it just continues to get worse. And the doctors finally said, Dave, it is time for you, uh, for us to remove your left arm and shoulder. And Chuck, you know what I thought? You get rid of my arm and you get rid of my shoulder and we get rid of all my problems. And that was an extremely difficult place to be. How old were you when all of this took place? So I retired at 33 and over the next two years, so I would have been 35 roughly around the, uh, the amputation itself because the amputation came on June 18th of 1991. So I was still young and in the prime of my life, I was quite frankly, before the cancer was developed, you know, today they talk about baseball players being old at 33 and they're on the downhill. And I was just about ready to move into a space where I was going to live on the mountaintop for a while at 33. I was a late bloomer. And so to have to go through this in the prime of my career where I was looking forward to the best years to come, those were gone. 
And so I actually thought when you removed my left arm and shoulder, you were going to get rid of my problems. And, you know, at 35 years of age, I don't know why I was thinking that, but I thought it was going to be a lot better afterwards. And for a couple of weeks it was, but unfortunately reality sunk in. When I looked in the mirror, I realized, oof. You know, Dave, your story is uh, so incredibly unreal. And you stop to think about going from the peak to the valley in such a short period of time. I remember, and most folks who know of Marking Ministries, they know of our story, where we went through a series of very difficult things, including a deep depression. This spanned a time of, I don't know, three or four, maybe five years, where we went from one thing to another, to another, to another. And of course, my objective was to remain faithful, to remain faithful to the gospel, faithful to my calling, faithful to my personal identity in Christ, etc. But then we got that call on July the 6th, 1993, that is every parent's nightmare. And when I held my son's body in my arms on that night, his 16-year-old beautiful, beautiful body, I, I looked to the heavens in my heart and I said, Lord, you have crossed the line. This is too much. I, I don't understand. You are supposed to be my heavenly father. I would never treat my children this way. Did you ever feel that way? You know, Chuck, I think I, I felt that way, but in a different way. You see, I had the unique privilege, and this is a very, very difficult circumstance. You're talking about the loss of a child. You know, it's, it's hard when I get the opportunity to speak with families who have lost a child to even relate because all I've lost is an arm and you would give anything to have your son back without his left arm. Yeah. Anything. So, so I struggle with that. However, I also understand that each of us goes through the process of grief and loss differently, but real and honestly. And I think that's the beauty. My, my honesty with God and my being real with God and my questioning God was a little different, but at the same time, very similar. Because at the end of the day, we know the principles behind who we are remain constant and who he is remains constant. But because of our humanity, God gives us permission to be able to question him. Oh my gosh, when you read the scriptures and you go into Job and you read Psalms and you see how often he's being questioned, that's the beauty of what, what, what God has given us in his story is that, look, you guys are human and I get that. So you have permission to be able to talk to me and ask me questions and even to be angry. And oh, by the way, it doesn't scare me. I already know it in advance. And yet we get that privilege to be able to question him on this journey, which I think is so beautiful. Because here, what I, here's what I've learned in the questioning. What is it doing? But drawing us closer to him. Otherwise, we wouldn't be questioning him. And so I have discovered in, in my story, it wasn't the why me. In my story, it was the fear. Because of my background, it was the fear of not being able to please him with the way I was living my life because I was, because I was angry and I was afraid and I did get frustrated and I didn't treat people the right way during that time. And I had my mood swings and, and I, and I, and I had no desire to read the Bible. I had no desire to pray. I had no desire to connect with God other than when I had the energy to cry out, I need your help. And that was all I could do. And being this athlete who was so driven by performance, translating that into his faith, thinking that's, that, that that's what it's all about, is performance. 
you can only begin to imagine how frustrated I became because I couldn't perform for him. Mm. I couldn't live up to what I thought the expectations were. And I had this really weird kind of understanding of who I was in relationship to him that was not healthy at all. And so in the midst of that crisis, what was so beautiful was when I, when I moved into the identity crisis, which was after the amputation, Jan and I were then able to be able to start counseling. And what's so bizarre about that is, see, I didn't take it out on God. You know who I took it out on? The people around me. Yeah. Because I had a very unhealthy fear of God. Because mm. I figured if I took it out on him, man, he's going to do something worse to me. <laughs> and so I took it out on my family. And all of a sudden, I realized through good friends who said, your wife needs counseling and you're the one that's going to support her in going through it. But you need to know, even though you're in denial, you need it too. And so we moved into that space. And for 18 months, we went into counseling together and I was able to deal with my issues. She was able to deal with her issues, which then helped us to deal with each other. And where, where I thought, and, and what's even more ironic, Chuck, in all of this, was I was speaking and telling my story. Mm. And I was encouraging people. And I would come home, and I'd beat up my family, mm. figuratively. And, and it was like, what is wrong with this picture? I'm not the communicator that I think I am, because obviously I'm not communicating my pain to my family. What I'm doing is I'm taking it out on them. And in the midst of the counseling, I began to learn. And I began to grow. And God used that time in the sweetest of ways to connect me with Jan on a level I had never connected with before. And then from there, after the 18 months of counseling, Jan asked if I would be open to going to Gary Oliver in Littleton, Colorado. And we had, we had, we had gone through the counseling the 18 months in Ohio because we had moved back after I retired where my home is in Youngstown, Ohio. And I was born and raised. We were both born and raised. And after that period of time, we moved to Colorado to get a fresh start. And while we were there, right after the counseling took place in Ohio, we moved out there. And then, and this was 1993, Jan connected with Gary Oliver, who, was right, who had written a book on um, men and their anger. And she was asked to endorse it. How ironic is this? And so she looked at me and she said, hey, I'm reading this manuscript. And he's only 30 minutes away. Would you be open to going to him? And I looked at her and I said, absolutely. I said, babe, do you think I like being like this? I don't like this. I don't like this me. And so I said, yes, let's go. And she said, I'm going to go with you every session. And she sat in there for 12 months. And Gary walked me through this, one of the most beautiful seasons of my life in taking a good hard look at me and my heart and why I would get angry. And I got some wonderful tools from him. I'm, I'm pleased to announce that Jan, in the process, she actually will tell you that it's probably been almost 25 years now since she's seen Mount Vesuvius, mm. which is pretty cool. Mm. But I have to tell you, I mean, it led to this because I had become verbally abusive mm. and it was getting really bad. And so moving into the counseling and then into the anger stuff was such an incredible gift from God and kind of set us on this new trajectory. And, and that new trajectory really was the poem that we wrote at the end of the book, uh, The Worth of a Man, um, which talks about worth and that my identity is not in the things that I do, but it's in who I am. And as I embrace more and more of who I am, it affects everything I do.
And that's actually my message today when I travel the country speaking. Do you ever feel as though you're drifting back into the anger, even now, even today? You know, it's been really interesting. That's a great question. There was something that happened eight years ago to me that was profound. But prior to that, I had my moments of drifting in and out of the anger stuff. And then eight years ago, I was in my office in Colorado, and I was, I was actually really frustrated with God. I was tired of reading books by different authors that wrote about the same thing, only using different words. I was like, really? And, and I was done. I was so done. And I struggled with reading scripture. I would go in and out during that period of time while we were in Colorado, which was 19 years of ebbing and flowing with reading the Bible. And then all of a sudden, eight years ago, all of a sudden, eight years ago, I was sitting in my office and I looked up on my shelf and I said, God, I'm going to give you one more chance. There's got to be a book on my shelf that I need right now. And so I'm looking at the shelf and I see yellow and black. And I always judge a book by its cover. <laughs> and I love yellow and black uh, but you know. because yellow and black was the first organization that I ever signed for to play ball, ball, pro ball was the Pittsburgh Pirates. Pittsburgh Pirates, yeah. Yes. And it so my, it was my team growing up. Yeah, my connection was, okay, there's Pittsburgh. I love those colors. Pull it off the shelf. <laughs> and lo and behold, what I didn't realize was in, in 2004, seven years earlier, my financial advisor, who is not only my advisor, but my spiritual mentor and best friend, had sent me that book and said, this is a must read. And for seven years, it sat on my shelf. And then six months prior, the author of that book came to our church in Colorado Springs and did a men's retreat. And so all of a sudden, I'm sitting there and I'm going, okay, I'm going to read this book. And it was called True Faced by John Lynch, Bill Thrall, and Bruce McNichol. They have a ministry out of Phoenix, Arizona called True Face Ministries. And, and, and Chuck, it literally rocked my world. And it spoke directly to my heart. You know, it's, it's, it, and, and it wasn't necessarily that, that the book was any more spectacular or better than any other book, but it was the book for me. And in that moment, I ran into God in a totally new and refreshing way. And it was all about understanding his grace and the original good news as they define it. Because for me, what happened over all those years, 30 plus years of walking with Jesus, it was about Jesus plus something equals everything. And the reality of the gospel is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And I could not get that in my head. There had to be something I had to do. And so I had this, I don't know where, where it came from. I, I, I certainly can't blame any pastor because I sat under teaching that spoke of grace. But for some reason, there was always something added to it. It could have been in my background with performance and having to please God. Obviously, that was a huge part of it. Somewhere along the line, I may have heard things from the pulpit that I interpreted as something else has got to be in this outside of just Jesus. But now these guys were saying, no, God's grace is sufficient for you even on your worst day. And so I got hold of them. I was so overwhelmed by this book, I called John Lynch. I said, dude, I don't know who you are. You don't know who I am. But I love this book, and it has literally transformed my life because you took me back into the scriptures, and you reintroduced me to Jesus in a profound and new way. And I am so grateful for that. And he knew who I was. 
he was a huge Dodger fan. Uh-oh. And a Sandy <laughs> Koufax fan. Uh, and, and he said, Dave, you know what? We're updating the book, and we're going to bring some of our new content into it, and it's going to be called The Cure because our ministry is True Face, and there's too much of a link between the title of the book and the ministry. So we're going to call it The Cure, and we're going to update this. Would you endorse it for us? And I said, send it to me and let me read it, and absolutely. Mm. And so, so I share that with you, Chuck, because I've read the book six times now. I mean, I know it, it's, it's, it's been branded on my heart. And what's been branded on my heart is the gospel and the good news of Jesus. And what has been so beautiful about that is that I have finally been set free. And so I can't even remember when I thought about getting angry, Chuck, mm-hmm. the last eight years. You know, it's amazing when we're, on, when we're on this journey of grief or sorrow, how the, the Holy Spirit just seems to, at the right time, point us in the right direction. You know, as you were telling your story about the book, uh, I was in Atlanta, Georgia, shortly after we lost our son, Mark. And I honestly read every book on grief you could think of. Yeah. Uh, none of them touched me. None mm-hmm. of them, because they all came up short. I was wanting somebody to explain to me why this happened. Mm-hmm. And the, that's an unrealistic expectation to put on an author. But I was in a bookstore in a very large church in Atlanta because I was at a conference there. And I went into their bookstore, and I, again, I'm looking for something. And all the way down at the bottom of this, the shelves, the very last row at the bottom, all the way tucked in the back, in fact, it was even bent in such a way that you couldn't see it. I yeah. reached back there, and I pulled that tiny little book out, and it was called Lament for a Son. Oh, my God, I knew you were going to say that. And I read that book, and that was the only book that touched my heart. I called the professor who wrote that book. Yes. He doesn't know me. I don't know him. I called him and I said, I want you to know what your book just did for me because it didn't solve my grief. Yeah. But what it did do was show me that God has me firmly in his grip, that I'm not holding on to him. He's actually holding on to me. Yeah. And the second story that I remember that really I, I identify with you so much on this, I was sent to. Um, the Teton Mountains by my church for the purpose of crafting a vision shortly after we lost Mark. But I really think the motivation of my leaders was they knew I needed to get some time away. And I'm out there in this beautiful setting in the Teton Mountains and indescribable the beauty that's there. And of course, you being from Colorado, you, you know some of that beauty. And I'm complaining against God. I'm, I'm angry. Uh, I don't understand, Lord, why you did this. I kept going back to the same thing. I would never treat my children this way. I know, I know parents lose their children, you know, blah, blah, blah. All of that was going on. And he took me directly to the book of Job. I said, I know Job. I don't want to read any more about Job. I know Job. I know it was a behind the scenes stuff from chapter one. I know that, that there was a spiritual warfare going on inside of Job. And then he took me to chapter 38 of Job. Now you got to imagine this. I'm sitting on a porch in the middle of the Teton Mountains, and I'm overlooking some of the most incredible beauty you'd ever think of. And Job 38 starts off with God saying to Job, now this is my paraphrase, okay, Job, it's about time that you shut up and listen. Mm -hmm. It's about time you you become a man and listen to me. No more talking, listen to me. And then he goes through in Job 38 a series of where were you when? Where were you when? Where were you when? And everything he's describing is from creation. 
where were you when I set the hawk in the air? And I'm looking out and I'm watching hawks. <laughs> I, I'm, watch, I'm watching the very things he's telling me. There again, the scriptures were used at that particular juncture in my life for God to show me, I'm holding you, son. I've got you firmly in my grip. You can pound on my chest just like your wife did the night that we realized that Mark was killed. She just kept pounding on my chest and saying, no, 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 no. And all I could do was hold her. And I think God can take those temper tantrums. Yeah. I think he, he can take a hold of us when we're, we don't understand what's going on. And at the very precise moments we need it the most, he brings a book into our lives. He brings yeah. a scripture into our lives. He brings a Dave Dravecki into our lives yeah. and, and tells us at this point, I've got you. I've got your back. I've got you. I'm holding you firmly in the grip of my grace. I think you identify with that. Absolutely. Oh, Chuck, that is, that is such a beautiful picture of what we are, are understanding more and more with every day of our life. Hmm. It's, um, you know, it's, you know, one of the things I always wrestled with that uh, the cure has helped me to see is that, you know, I'm not a sinner who just got saved. I'm a saint now who sinned, you know, and, and I never thought of myself in the context of that mm. because I was always too embarrassed to think that I could actually be considered a saint. But I think it really is significant in understanding who makes us the saints and what was given so that we could become saints. And as we grow into that place, I also came to grips with understanding. I don't know why I never understood this before, but 2 Corinthians 5.17, that tells us that we've been made brand new. Chuck, Jesus didn't come to die for the old Dave and fix him up. He came to give me a totally new nature. And he did that by infusing the Holy Spirit into me at that moment that I believed. And I trusted in him. And in that, from that point forward, the, this beautiful picture develops, and it's twofold. I am his masterpiece, but I'm also becoming his masterpiece. Already in the not yet. Yeah. And at the same time, when I see that picture, I realize, you know, the work that goes into chiseling away those pieces of our lives that need to be moved away so that there can be a more beautiful Dave at the end of the journey. And, and a big piece of that is, I think, the beauty of it is the, the going, th now looking back, I can say this now, but not then, the beauty is in understanding the power of pain and suffering and adversity in our lives. And, and, and how God takes us on that journey, accepting and embracing every part of it, and not being afraid of how we're going to respond to him in the midst of that pain, but to simply embrace it so that in the end, we can feel his embrace. His embrace yeah. We can feel his embrace. And the only, I, I, I got to tell you, Chuck, I don't know about you, but God used people to make himself a reality in our story. He used people. Yeah. We needed the touch of someone who loved us in spite of our ugliness. We needed the touch of someone who loved us in the midst of not fully understanding what God was doing. We needed somebody to love us and not try to fix us. We needed somebody to listen instead of talk. We needed somebody to cry. We needed somebody to laugh. We needed somebody just to sit and watch TV if that's all I wanted to do. Mm. When God brought those people, like a book, into our lives, Oh my gosh, what it did for our hearts was absolutely amazing. I have a very good friend 
who very suddenly died a couple a couple of weeks ago. Hmm. And um, he he's a brother that has been there every step of the way with our struggle. And I remember way back in 1993, a knock came at the door, and his name was Emil. Emil came in the house. He sat down. He took my hand. He sat beside me. He said, brother, I want to know how you're doing. He says, I really mean I want to know how you're doing. And he was two, three inches away from my face. And I said, Emil, I am so angry. I want to hurt somebody. I said, I want to hit something. I, I want to pound something. He put his arms on my shoulders and he brought me to himself. He said, hit me, hit me. And he meant it. And, you know, right before he died, I was in the hospital with a heart attack and Emil came to see me and we were talking about that story. I said, Emil, you know what? You're very, very blessed I didn't hit you because I think I probably would have killed you. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, he says, beautiful. I said, did you really mean it? He said, I did. I did mean it. I wanted you to hit me. And I yeah. said, that is a picture of the sacrificial work of Christ on the cross. Amen. We hit him. And he says, hit me, yes. hit me, take my sins, hit me. You know, as, as we think about closing this, this interview, and again, I am so blessed by your testimony. There's there's so much we have in common. I, I know you probably hear that a lot, but there's so much. I too was raised Roman Catholic. I was raised in the Catholic schools and I, I grew a healthy fear of God in the Catholic schools, but that also that, that Jesus plus something else was always there. Yeah. And, and as, I, as I think about that one person now who's listening to this, somebody gave them this resource. Somebody, they, maybe they saw Dave Trevecki. Oh, I know that name. I remember him. I want to hear what he has to say. And they're, they're out there. They're hanging on by a thread. They just, they're angry. They're depressed. Uh, life has really bitten them bad. And they, they are ready to just toss it all in. Tell me what you would say to that person if they were sitting in front of you right now. You know, Chuck, it's very difficult when you're dealing with somebody who's in the midst of pain and suffering to understand this. But it is important to know for them to know that they are loved. So there are two things that I think I would say I would share. Number one, if I really do understand who I am, um, they need to know that I love them. And they need to know the power of allowing someone to be able to come into their life and to be there for them and to not the tendency and pain and suffering all too often is to hide because you don't want to be a burden. And so as a result of that, I would encourage people, I would encourage those who find themselves in the midst of it to invite people in. But as they do, to remember as they invite people in who will love them, that there's one who loves more than anyone else can love, and that is Jesus, because he is the essence of love. And he is the one who will provide the strength to endure the journey as you let him in. And in so, he will use those people that you let in to express his love to you. And in that, you will find great comfort. It may not take away your pain. It may not take away your suffering. It may not take away the uncertainty of what the future holds for you. But in the midst of it, it will give you hope. Because Jesus 
is the essence of our hope. If what he has done for us on the cross is true and we believe it is, then that life that was sacrificed for us understands our suffering better than anyone on the planet. And he did it so that we would be set free and live forever with him. And that's the hope that comes in one who has loved you to the point of dying on a cross so that you could have life eternal. And for that gift, for that gift, Chuck, I would say, let Jesus in, let him in. My name is Chuck Betters. You are listening to a Help and Hope resource produced by Marking Ministries. And our guest has been uh, former major leaguer, Dave Dravecki, who is a best-selling author, but most of all, as you've listened to this interview, you realize he's a fellow traveler and he's encouraged me in my own life journey. And I know he has encouraged you. You can learn more about Dave and the ministry that he and Janet founded called Endurance by visiting markinc.org. And there we will include links to his website, to his books. And at markinc.org, we will also provide numerous free resources, just like this conversation, that is designed to offer help and hope to hurting people. Stories told from those who are ahead of you in the journey. These resources are free because people believe in our vision of offering help and hope to hurting people. I ask you if you would prayerfully consider supporting Mark Inc. so that we can continue to offer resources like this story. And you can safely give by visiting markinc.org. I want to thank you for listening may God richly bless you. Thanks again to you, Dave Trebecki. You've been quite an inspiration. God bless.